0: You know, as I've mentioned the past couple weeks, it's really dawned on me just how important a time of year that the holiday season is. Not only are we capping off our year, but in a lot of ways, we're building the foundation for a new one. For many, for many, it's a season of absolute heartbreak. Their faith is faltering, their hope extinguished and love lost. But in this season, there is a reason I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did well. In this season, there is a reason to keep faith, to continue in our hope, and a way that we get to experience love, a love that so many of us struggle to comprehend. Jesus, in short, Jesus inspired faith. He inspired hope, and he brought and he gave a love like the world has never seen. Today, together, we're going to look at faith, and in the next three weeks, ending on Christmas Eve, like I said, we're going to look at faith today, hope next week, and then love on the 24th, and what we see about Jesus is that he inspired faith wherever he went. Now, it was impossible to be in his presence and not believe unless somebody willfully made that decision, and we see that in Scripture quite a bit, where Jesus would perform a miracle. He would absolutely change someone's life. He would do something that there was no other explanation for than to say that this man was God or was the Son of God, had some great connection to God, and yet we'll still see people who reject him, reject his teachings, look at ways to end his life. And as we know, that was all kind of part of the story, but the same faith that we see expressed in him When he was just a child and as a baby, we see expressed in him throughout his life. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, and we'll look at some different verses around Luke today, but we're going to start in chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And it says that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, which seems to be an appropriate reaction when an angel just suddenly appears, and I'm assuming things are really, really bright. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, which we know as Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, the shepherds believed what they were being told, and they believed that the angel's message was true. At the very least, at the very least, They were open to the possibility of it being true. And we know this because they broke rule number one in the shepherd's handbook. They left their flock unattended. Now, Bethlehem was not a huge town, but still, anytime you have to walk on foot through an entire town to try to find a single baby that might be in a manger. And if you kind of know how houses back in the day were set up, almost every home would have had something similar to what Jesus was born in. Uh, Their odds... Honestly, probably weren't great, but there was something about the message, obviously the angels and the heavenly host that made them think well, we ought to forget our responsibilities. I mean, what a way to get fired. A risk for sure, but a risk that they deemed worth taking. I mean, I can only imagine, hey, what happened last night? Half of our flock got taken out by a pack of wolves. Yeah, well, you see, we thought there was this baby. And we wanted to go see this baby. It had just been born. And the boss being like, You lost half of our sheep because you wanted to see a baby being born? What about tonight? Are you going to leave when another baby's born? You can't leave every time a baby's born. That's not going to be good for business. But it paid off because they found Jesus and there was something about finding Jesus, not just that the angels had told them that if they went into Bethlehem, they would find this baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. There was something about Jesus that spoke to the shepherds that told them that this was not some ordinary baby. Because in verse 17, it continues, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child and all who heard it were amazed At what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, it wasn't until they got to experience Jesus that they truly acted upon understanding and knowing who Jesus was. It's our actions that confirm our faith. For the shepherds, we can believe that they believed because once they had experienced Jesus, they began to spread the word. They began to tell everyone that they possibly could about the forthcoming of Jesus. The beginning of Christ's ministry was in the manger. I want you to think about that. Oftentimes we think about it when You know, the the dove descended and God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he started to get disciples. And that was the beginning. That wasn't the beginning. This was the beginning of Christ's ministry. And the angels paved the way for the experience. You see, what we get to see in Luke chapter 2 is the first invitation ever to the Christian church. The angels invited the shepherds to the church. Come have an opportunity to meet Jesus. It's mind-blowing to me, and I do mean mind-blowing to me, that we get to fill the role of the angels for other people that we come across in our life. We get to fill that role. We get to hark the herald angels sing. It's our invitation to church, just like it was the angels invitation to the shepherds to church that allows for the possibility of someone to get to experience Jesus. You see, the first step to anyone's faith journey is being given the opportunity to explore Christ. And without the proclamation, without their faith that was inspired through their experience with Jesus, And them telling their story of what had happened to them. Who knows how many people would have never gotten to experience Jesus. See, because what happens is as we share our faith, as we begin to invite others to take part in church, to explore Christ. Is that they get to see and feel and know that Christ is real. It's not as easy for us today as it was back then because we don't get to see Jesus walk around the earth. We don't get to see the miracles performed. We don't get to hear his teachings. We don't get to see the crowds disperse after his teachings on fire, spreading the good news of Christ. We don't get to see that firsthand from Christ. But if people will take that chance, they will see these things through you and through me. They will see us be the hands and feet of Christ. They will see us tend to the widow, feed the hungry, help to find healing for those who need it. They will get to experience Christ and without doubt know that he is real. So why do some still reject Christ? It's a willful decision. I think it's one of the great things About our God. That we have free will to choose. That everything gets to be laid out. On the table before us. And that we get to make the choice. As to whether or not. We believe Christ is who scripture says Christ is. But people will never get that opportunity. If we don't. Give it to them. Right. If we don't. Offer them. The chance. To come and explore the man that we call Christ, the son or God, the son. And it's really sad because for some, Christ is the realization of faith. What does that mean? Let me explain. See, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who's grown up in church, maybe if you're even somebody who's grown up in the Midwest, your connection to the world, to the word faith, Your worldview of faith has some association with God, the Father, Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We as Christians cannot see faith outside of the realm of who Christ is. But for so many, for much of the world, faith is the trust and the confidence that there is something more. That there's something more. That life isn't some empty pursuit that we're not just here one day and then gone the next, that we don't just live life and then become worm food, that our actions and our words and the choices that we make actually have meaning. There's faith that there is something more to this life. And they find that faith, they find that realization so often in Christ. Christ. More than Any other avenue is the place where this faith, this desire, this hope that there is something more, there's something bigger out there is realized. It's Christ. One such man in history who had faith that there was something more, a follower of God, but still believed that there was more than what Jewish tradition taught was Simeon. As is customary, Jewish babies were presented in the temple not long after their birth to be circumcised and to have a couple other ceremonial things take place. Simeon was a devout man, a follower of God, somebody who clearly uh, was following God's will in life and, and had received a promise from God that before his death, he would see the salvation of man. He would see the one who was to come and restore Israel. And so the spirit moves and reveals to Simeon that this baby being carried into the temple by his parents was the promised savior. And so Simeon comes up out of the blue to this new couple with their new baby. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people, Israel. Christ is the realization of faith that there's something more. But Christ is also the reward of faith. We see this as we continue in Luke chapter 2. And Anna, the prophetess, is presented. Anna's a widow. She was married for, I think, seven years. Seven years she was married. Now, if you know anything about um, Jewish history and custom, women in this day and age, they got married really young. Like Mary, they think at the time of Jesus' birth was about 13. So if we just assume it's sometime around that time in her life, she loses her husband in her lower 20s. And it says that for the rest of her life, decades of service to 84 years, she never left. She served in the temple. Not only did she not leave, she just moved in. She was there day and night, fasting constantly, praying all the time, worshiping every opportunity that she got. She is a woman of faith. She is the prime example of someone who, after losing her husband, and probably even before then, devoted everything that she had, all that she was, to God. And on the same day, she experiences baby Jesus, and the Spirit moves in her as well. Because in Luke two thirty eight, it says that coming up to them at that very moment, here comes Anna right after Simeon. I'm sure that there. Think about Mary and Joseph. If somebody came up to you as you're carrying your new baby and they, he says, this is the salvation of the world. We got to go, right? Like we're going to put some distance between us and you. Thanks for your kind words. Uh, you go that way. We'll go this way. Right? And so they're kind of stunned. They don't really know what to think. They're Mary's kind of putting everything together, right? From the first time the angel came and told her that she would have this baby to to the shepherd showing up randomly at the birth. And and as we see in another account in the Bible, the wise men too, and she's kind of, we know she's treasuring these things in her heart. She's trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And she's really starting to realize that there is something about her baby that is different than other babies. You think that she would already have that completely figured out by now? In a, in a, a lot of ways I think she did, but this is a lot to take in. A lot to take in that your child happens to be the son of God. A lot to take in that your child not only is the son of God, but is the salvation of man. In Jewish history, oral tradition, they have an idea of kind of the story of, of what's going to happen with the Savior. And so restoring, it's a big task. It's a lot to wrap your head around and put on this little tiny baby who right now depends on you For everything. And so as they continue through the temple. Here comes Anna the prophetess. And she has been in this temple. Her entire life. People know her. Like they know her. So she goes. And it says that she came up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God. And she began to speak. Of the child to all of those. Who were looking forward to the redemption. Of Jerusalem. Which if you didn't know. Pretty much the entire Jewish religion. If you were a Jew, you were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. For many of them who didn't recognize Jesus as that, they're still looking. They're still in expectation. But Anna recognized that Jesus was that very thing. And so she began to spread the news. Again, we see action confirming faith. And this pattern, it's constant. It's actually why it's a pattern. That's one of the major characteristics of a pattern, that it is continuous. So people, they come and they're led to Jesus by spirit or by host. They experience Jesus. And from that moment, we either say, we either see faith and lives change or willful disbelief. Willful disbelief, like we got so often from the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And if you know your scripture, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I'm doing everything you say I'm supposed to do. And and what else do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells him, if you'll remember, he says, you just need to sell all your possessions, get rid of everything, leave it all behind and follow me. And the message isn't that, oh, it's bad for you to have all of these things and all this possession. It's that I need to come first. But the rich young ruler was real rich. And so he didn't want to get rid of all that stuff. And so he left downcast. He, he, he chose to willfully reject Jesus. So we see this constant pattern. Let's look at some other experiences. If we go to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to go through this stuff quick. So... Look at the screen because if you're flipping through a Bible app and stuff, you're not going to keep up. Okay. But Luke chapter four, Jesus removes a demon from a man. And in verse 36, it says that all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these with authority and power? He gives order to impure spirits and they come out and the news about him begin to spread through the surrounding area. Faith confirmed by action. And we're told later in verse 42 in chapter four, that Jesus is beginning to leave. His ministry must continue. He must leave the area of Capernaum that he's at, And people are begging him not to leave. They are begging him not to go because of all the good that he has done. They want him to stay. But as he expresses, I have more to do. My ministry must continue. There are other areas that need me, that need to hear my teachings, that need to experience my love. That is what Jesus came here to do. And, and so he can't stay. Their faith is expressed in their desire for him to remain with them. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. I'm going to read it all. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. From now on, you will fish for people. Verse 11, really important. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. A lot of you guys know I love to fish. I will fish any opportunity I can. I will fish in the middle of winter. I would go fish right now, except it would be weird for me to leave in the middle of the sermon, right? But I would fish at any opportunity. Somebody says, you want to go fishing? My answer is, babe, can I go fishing? And then yes, right? So... That's how it works. But I love to fish. Now, there have been a few times. I'm glad Jimmy Dean's not here this morning. There have been a few times where I have gone fishing and I haven't really caught anything. Um, I still like being on the water. It's still nice to be in nature. But fishing is a lot more fun when fishing becomes catching, right? And so here are these fishermen who had been out literally all night. Hadn't caught a thing. They're getting nothing. Nothing. And Jesus was on shore and he was teaching to this group of people. And as he finishes, he kind of like looks over his shoulder and he's like, hey, you guys should go over there and cast your nets. And they're like, hey, dude, we fish there and there and there and there. We fished everywhere. And Jesus goes, dude, but hey, if you know fishermen, it's always the next cast. that They're going to get one. Right. I just need one more. I'm caught anything all day. I've been out there for six hours, but if I throw it in one more time. I might just get a nibble, I might get it in the boat, and then it's like brand new. You're refreshed, you can go another six hours without catching anything, and the next fish, like, gets you a hundred more casts, okay? And so they're like, hmm, maybe we'll get lucky and we'll get one. So they cast their nets, and they start to pull out these fish, and they don't just catch one, they don't just catch two, it's not ten, it's not twenty. It is so much so that their nets began to break. They had to call another boat over. And they filled both of these boats so full with fish that the fish, the fish, the fish, the fish begin to sink the boats. You guys know how my brain works now. That's more scary to me than anything, right? The fish begin to sink the boats. So there is something about this man, something about the order to go catch these fish, something about the amount of fish that they caught. I'm thinking they've caught more fish in this day than they have caught in a long, long time combined, right? Their boats are beginning to sink. And a realization hits Simon Peter. He's already heard about this Lord, this Messiah, this Jesus, this man who's been going around doing miraculous things, healing the blind, fixing the lame, bringing people back to life. He's heard about these things, and it dawns on him that this is that Jesus. You see, he knew about him a little bit. Heard about him, but it wasn't until he actually got to experience him that his life was changed. He now had a reason to fully put his faith in this Jesus. And the brothers that are his partners, the sons of Zebedee, what a good name. You guys need to change the band name. Sons of Zebedee, right? There's James and John and they're there and they're thinking to themselves. Yeah, we're going too. this is awesome. Like, there's something special about this guy. So, they take their boats that they most likely own, they put them on the shore, and they leave everything behind. You don't do that for something you think might be real. You don't do that on some whim or some chance. You don't leave your entire life behind without full faith that it is going to work out. Later, in the same chapter, chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And it says that everyone was amazed, and they gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe, and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Luke chapter 6, 10 through 11, Jesus heals a man with a crippled hand. And if you remember this story, it's a really powerful one because it happens on the Sabbath. And this man comes up and his hand is crippled. He can't open it. Can't use it. He's lame. Prevents him from working. Prevents him from earning a living. Prevents him from living life. And so he comes up on the Sabbath as Jesus is in the presence of Pharisees and these religious teachers. And he's teaching them. And he's discussing ideas. And he's putting forth the way that he thinks that things should be in the world. And the Pharisees in the back of their mind see an opportunity to trap Jesus. Because teaching says that you should do no work on the Sabbath. And to heal a man would be work. And Jesus asked them a simple question Is it better to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Well, they knew if they said to do good, That they just gave him permission to do work on the Sabbath. And they knew that if they said to do evil, then they're idiots. (laughs) And so they say nothing. And then Jesus heals the man's hand. Your sins are forgiven. And what do the Pharisees do? They seek for a way to kill him. They just saw something completely miraculous with their own eyes. They saw proof that Christ was who not only he would eventually say that he was, but who everyone else eventually would know him to be and what they had a pretty good inclination he was becoming. And rather than believe... They chose willfully to disbelieve and not just to disbelieve, but to try to kill this man so that they would no longer have that competition. When we look later in the chapter, verse 19, Jesus is teaching and he's healing. And and this is one of the coolest things that you can read this, this verse in in this little section of, of chapter six and kind of overlook it. And Jesus was just bringing it. I don't know how else to say it. Like he was bringing the word and it was anointed and power was just flowing from him. And it says that everyone in his presence was being healed. And people just wanted to touch him. They knew that if they could just touch him, that they could find healing too. 19. And the people all tried to touch him. See, I was right. Because power was coming from him and healing them all. Then in chapter 7, we see both the centurion's servant healed when Jesus isn't even in the proximity of the servant because of the centurion's faith. And we see the widow's son raised from the dead. A woman who had now had absolutely nothing. And her son, who hadn't just died, he had been dead he was in coffin, in casket, however you want to say it. And Jesus told him, get up, rise, and go. And the word began to continue to spread about him. I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to take you through the entire book. I really was. There was a point where I'm like, I'm going to take him through every instance in Luke. Uh, some of you are already fallen asleep, so I'm not going to do it. But if you continue to read... You open up a Bible, and we, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles. They're not pretty, but they're a Bible, and within them is truth and some power, and uh, I know we have at least one Bible. I think Ashley got rid of them because she doesn't like Jesus. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> Last time I knew they're in the back, but we got lots of Bibles, and if we don't have lots of Bibles, we will get you a Bible. Sorry, Ashley. I know you love Jesus. So it was a joke. If you need a Bible, we will get you a Bible so that you can continue to read and see that time after time after time, this pattern continues. That people are invited to Jesus. They're brought to Jesus. They just happen to come across Jesus. They get to experience Jesus. And they leave with their life changed forever. Forever. This was a song we'd say forever. Right? Take out. No? I was taking it back to. The, never mind. Right? Here's the thing in this season, when so many people are struggling to continue in faith, are struggling to still believe that there's something more and there's something better. We have that something better. We have the gift that they will be given when their faith is put in Christ. We have the realization of their faith That there is something more than what they currently have. Christ inspires faith. But one cannot truly experience Christ. And be unchanged unless they willfully make that choice. I'm going to say that again. One cannot truly experience Christ and be unchanged unless they willfully make that choice. It is a truth that I strongly believe. But if we are not inviting them, and even less than that, if we are not sharing our faith, our stories, how Christ has proven to us over and over that he is very real and very much alive and still changing lives today, if we do not share that, then we may be preventing someone from ever having the opportunity to make their own decision about him. You know the best way to spread Christmas cheer, right? Wrong. (laughs) It's proclaiming Christ for all to hear, which you could do in song very loudly. All I'm asking, if you're watching online or you're here in person with us, is to give those who are losing faith the reason not to during this Christmas and holiday season. This is the epitome of our year, but it is the foundation for the next. And who knows, the next time you share your faith, You may not only change someone's year, but you may change someone's years, their lives forever. Bow with me now. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for this day. Lord, I am blessed to have the opportunity to serve, to bring your word and to bring your truth. And to get to express my faith And my belief in you that I have because of the experiences that I have with you. Because there are people in my life who wouldn't give up on me. Who kept inviting me to things. Who kept dragging me to things. Who kept presenting Christ in front of me in a way that told me that he was very real. And very present. And that I had good reason to continue believing that. There was something more to this life. God, in this season, there are so many people who need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And yes, we need Jesus throughout the entire year, 24-7, 365. But there are people in this time of year that are really hurting and are really in a lot of pain. And God, our hearts go out to them. And Lord, we pray for them. But we can do more than pray. We can act. We can share our faith. And as we continue in these weeks, we'll talk about how we can share our hope and we can share our love. And we can pave the way for people to get to experience Christ. My love language is gifts. And the greatest gift that I've ever received is Christ Jesus. And God, in this season, we focus so much on things here on this earth, the get-togethers, the present giving, the meals, and all those things are good. All those things in my mind are ways that we can celebrate how you have blessed us in our lives. But they're not what's most important. Jesus is what's most important. And people getting to experience Jesus is the most worthy pursuit that any of us could have during this holiday season. So God, make us the bridge between you and those that don't know you. Set us on fire in this holiday season. Bring people In these doors, give people the opportunity to know you because God, I know that they will not leave disappointed. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen. I'm gonna be down front, I'm here to pray. Um, I wanna pray with you. If there's something that you're going through right now that you're struggling with, if you're having a hard time with faith right now, if you're pretty hopeless, if you're struggling with love, I want to pray with you I want to pray with you because not only do I care but I know very much so that Christ cares as well and in this season you're not alone and you may not have had a great year you may have had a really tough one and so I would encourage you to let this season be the epitome of your year And you can do that. You can make it the best part of your year by focusing on what's most important right now, and that is Christ. And in doing so, you can set yourself up for next year to be a successful year, to not be the same as it was. And really, knowing Christ is all about transformation. It's about becoming better than what you were before. So, if you're struggling with something, come pray with me. Let me pray for you. There's power in having someone intercede on your behalf. Come pray at the stage. Grab somebody in the audience. Ask him to pray with you. Let's stand right now. Let's give an offering of worship to our God. And then the final thing I'm going to say is, you're standing, I, I would be remiss to go through all this and not tell you If you are not a Christian If you don't know Christ As your personal Lord and Savior And I realize that that terminology May mean nothing to you right now But if you cannot sit here and say Yeah I have full faith in Christ One I'm glad you're here I hope we're giving you Ample opportunity and space To explore who Christ is But two have a conversation with me I'm not here to change your mind I'm not here to do anything, right? Other than just tell you what my experience is and tell you why I think it's so important that you devote your life to Christ. But if you don't know Christ, the greatest thing that you can do today is to put your faith in him. Okay, I'm done. Let's worship.